Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Setting the Tone Interviews. On this month's edition, we are delighted to get the chance to sit down with Robin Bronner, who is an, an assistant director on the show for a total of 79 episodes between 1999 and 2003. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us this afternoon. It's a pleasure. Very nice to be here. So to get us started a little bit, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got your start in television. Okay, I will, I will tell this story as concisely as possible because it's a good story in and of itself but okay. basically um i was a theater major dramatic arts major at uc davis in Cal northern california had every intention of going into theater as a stage manager and um we had a uh our a publicity department put on a q a session they put up this poster and it said you know q a session with television director joel zwick and i said god that name's really familiar and, and he was you know fairly well known at the time because he was currently directing full house so, okay. you know, I was like, okay, maybe it's just that. And I was like, you know, no, it's more than that. And I called my mom and was, you know, my mom who went to Brooklyn College. I said, uh, mom, how do I know Joel Zwick? And she said, oh, that was my boyfriend in, in college. Oh. <laughs> oh. Like, okay, well, he's coming to my school now. So, of course, I signed up to attend the seminar, went to the seminar, sat right in the front row, asked some questions, yada, yada. After the seminar, I went up to introduce myself. And I was like, hey, Mr. Zwick, I just wanted to introduce myself. And he looked at me and he said, Irene Schnagel. That's my mom. My mom's name. He's like, you're Irene Schnagel's kid. I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, you look just like your mother. And so uh, uh, long story short, I um, sent him my resume when I couldn't get a job in the theater. And I said, hey, I'm looking for anything. What do you got? Heard nothing, nothing. Total silence until a few weeks later, I got a call from Judy Zaylor's office at Warner Brothers Television. And they were nice enough to extend an offer to work as a PA on the show Sisters right out of graduate, uh, right out of college. So six days after I graduated college, I was working as a PA on Sisters. And 20 something years later, <laughs> I got a job working with Joel Zwick and I was finally able to first AD for him. Yeah, there you go. That was the circle. Yeah, it was very cool. It was really cool. So that's how that happened. Okay. So I saw that like, as you were getting started, particularly with the assistant directing stuff, you were doing um, some work on like feature film stuff like Star Trek and yeah. um, Father's Day. What was that kind of experience like? I mean, you're you're kind of new at that job, at, I would assume at that point, and you're getting thrust into something like Star Trek. What's that like? That was one of the best experiences of my career, even to this day. So I have a really annoying cat. That's okay. <laughs> and of course, as soon as you turn on Zoom, she's like, oh. Um, Star Trek, I was a huge Star Trek fan because my mom was a huge Star Trek fan and you know, college was all about next generation. So it was really awesome to get that job. Um, it was phenomenally wonderful and exciting. Um, and it really, the executive producer of that movie is a, a gentleman named Marty Hornstein, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. He was really instrumental in helping what I, I kind of say, take off the blinders. So I had, you know, as a, as a DGA trainee, which is low man on the totem pole, um, my job was to work in base camp, just help the actors get to and from, get ready, you know, disseminating information. Wow, I'm going to have to lock you up. <laughs> it's okay. I have um, a kitten right now. I'm doing this. Oh, same my thing. God. <laughs> um, so I was kind of in my little base camp world, and I didn't really get the bigger picture of production. And he helped me really understand that um, by reaming me really bad one day uh, when I messed up some paperwork. And uh, he sat me down. He's like, you don't even understand what we're doing. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought I did. <laughs> Apparently I don't. And um, it was great. So, I mean, in addition to working on this massive feature with these amazing people and on in this world that I am a super fan of, mm -hmm. he also really helped me um, move forward in my career in that way. So that my, you know, when I was able to become a better AD because of him and I got pictures with Patrick Stewart. So it was great. <laughs> yeah. It all works out. Yeah. So uh, this is fast forwarding, obviously, a couple of years, but what led to you getting the job uh, on ER? I know you did some work on Baywatch and a couple other uh, series before ER, but kind of what what was the, the series of events that led to you getting that big job? It was, it, as everyone says, it is a business of who you know. And my friend Jill Musser was the key second at the time, and she got hired on Cameron Crowe's movie Almost Famous, and you don't say no to that. So she yeah. called me up and she said, hey, would you like to work on ER? And I had just finished um, keying on Baywatch. So I said, like, yeah, I'm ready for that. I can totally do that. And uh, just they, they brought me on over. They I overlapped with her. So she was able to give me the lowdown on the show. And um, that's how that happened. It just came to me. So I guess for to back up a little bit, can you give us a little bit of background on what it is exactly an assistant director does week to week and kind of what a typical episode look like for you? Sure. The way I kind of explain what an AD does is we kind of, and there's obviously, there's obviously different 
levels of being an AD. There's, and sure. I didn't make this up, but it, there is a second, second AD. <laughs> In Canada, you're a third AD, which makes a little more sense. Um, sure. Then there's a key second and a first AD. And then there's additionals as well when you have, you know, when you have the need for it. Um, the way I kind of explain it is, is we as seconds, we kind of straddle the line between the creative and the financial. We, okay. we are responsible to and answer to both. I'm sure that each party might say that we're more responsible to them. But ideally, if you do the job well, both, both parties are happy and you have a director whose vision is uh, on the screen, who, what, you know, they're able to see what they wanted actually be produced as opposed to constantly having to compromise or give up ideas. Um, right. and, and you do all that within the realm of the budget. So if you're really good at your job, both parties are happy and, um, and everybody gets what they want. Um, and we do that with, by, we're really the right arm of the director in the prep period. We, we break down the script, which means we go through each scene and we read it and break it down department by department. What elements are necessary for each scene that we're shooting? And mm -hmm. we conduct meetings with the director and with those department heads um, in order to make sure that everybody's on the same page about what we need, who's going to procure it, how, who's going to design it, who's going to build it, and uh, you know when can it be ready, <laughs> all those things. Right. And then we take all of that information and we build a schedule. And we schedule in the most efficient way possible. I'm sure everybody knows that we don't shoot in order. Um, we do our best. You know, we you know we try to schedule things that are in somewhat of story order, or at least in, the, in a particular story arc. Um, very often it's not possible. So, I mean, my one of my first, I remember this one episode of Baywatch, we literally started with this poor character. She, her first scene, she was dead. Her second <laughs> scene, she, we met her. And her third scene, she, that was, you know, kind of the guts of, of, <laughs> of her character's arc. It was the worst possible thing. I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> But sometimes, you know, and especially on a show like ER, where you have prosthetics that need to be built, when you have um, a lot of guest cast whose availability varies and things like that, those things tend to drive the schedule more than the story, as you know, you'd, you'd hope. And so you have to have these actors who can really pull off minor miracles every day um, right. and keep their arc and their story straight and know where they are emotionally in each scene when they're, we're shooting all out of order. Um, so that's always been pretty remarkable to me. And the directors, you know, are also amazing what they can keep straight and as far as the tone of the each scene that they're doing and to make sure that they're not messing that up. Um, and we assist in that a lot. Um, so that's essentially what we do. And then once we're out of the prep period, after we've scheduled the show, we then run the set. So the first AD runs the set. So everything happens and you know, we kind of are, you know, you hear that person in the background yelling, he rolls and cuts. Mm -hmm. We don't cut the camera unless there's something wrong. Um, but we'll yell, we'll call rolling and I don't know anybody who actually says quiet on the set anymore, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's our job is to, and then we're also responsible for setting all of the background action, which on ER was really groundbreaking the way yeah. that we worked that. So setting the, the background on ER was really exciting. Yeah. The choreography on some of those scenes, especially those one takes where the camera never cuts and it's like, it's like a dance, you know, there's so oh, yeah. much stuff going on in the background. It's, um, it's amazing how all that stuff kind of just weaves itself together. Nobody misses their mark. Nobody misses their cue. It's a, well, not that you get total, to see. not that we get to see. Yeah. <laughs> we did, we did actually catch what it was. Oh, really? I think it was before your time. I think it was, um, mid season five. Um, but there is a scene where Eric LaSalle is coming out of a door and two extras in the background just completely blow their cue. Oh, no. And they start walking as the camera picks them up. And we were like, wow, that's one out of 331 is not too bad. You know, that's that's not bad at all. Not yeah. a bad uh, ratio. Yeah. Um, so you started on the show after it was kind of already a full-fledged juggernaut. Um, did you feel any extra pressure stepping into work on a show that was being watched by, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 million people every week? Big time. Yeah, big time. I was, I mean, at first I was really excited. And then when I, you know, uh, I think when I started the show was right after they got the 40 share and that was a big deal. That was mm -hmm. huge. And it was the biggest, I think at that point it was the biggest ratings ever, except for maybe a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so, oh, um, so yeah, it was it was huge, and um, you know, kind of stepping in and taking over the background setting on that was also you know because the the bar had been set so incredibly high. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a little intimidating at first, but um, we had a really good team, and um, and it's something that I just really enjoy doing. It's it's 
I, you know, I, I kind of hope that that's kind of what I'm known for and is that I, I, I my, let's put it this way, my current staff, <laughs> they know how much I care about it because I'm very, very strict and very specific um, about how I like the background set. Because what you'll find, there was one day on ER, this was, a, again, these, they have these kind of crystallizing moments in your career. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day, and this was not one of my first episodes, this was maybe my second season. And we were rehearsing. And when we rehearsed, we did not have the background in. So it was just the actors and the camera and the crew and not even the whole crew. Um, and we were walking the scene with the camera. And I remember watching it on my monitor because back then you could actually, you had a, a little handheld TV monitor. Remember those little mm-hmm. three and a half inches with the antenna? And, you know, so that's what we would watch on. And I remember watching it and going, God, this is boring. <laughs> Without the background energy, yeah, with nothing in the hallways but actors walking and talking, and of course they were rehearsing. So they were just marking it. They weren't really giving it. Um, it. I was like, wow, what we do is really important. Mm-hmm. We really, you know, the setting the background and having good energy to the background and and good composition and uh, you know, in, something interesting that's not just boring. Uh, it it really it enhances the shot way more than I ever realized until that day. And I remember that day very clearly because I was like, wow. That's really cool. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And and it's a, a testament too to those background actors who are um, because they you guys did have kind of a, a rotating cast of, you know, obviously there were probably people who showed up week to week and did a single episode, but there was also a, a handful of people that were there almost the entire time the show was on. And one week they're playing a doctor, the next week they're a nurse, the next week they're a firefighter. You know, they're just one of those background characters. And that ability to almost be seen but not heard and seen but not perceived so that you don't point them out and go, hey, wasn't that guy a doctor last week and this week he's a nurse? Like, you don't ever question it. And it's, it, it's I think, a talent unto itself, really. For sure. And then we did have a core group of background. I think it was around 25 people who worked with us every day. And they did always play the, the same, at least the same type of character. So they were always a nurse. So they were right. always an orderly. Um, and that group was absolutely invaluable um mm-hmm. to because when we had like really complicated shots and things i didn't you know it didn't take a lot of time you could just say right. hey i need you to do that cross you know this i need you to wipe here and then grab that give me some height over there and then give me a counter on the way out and i just knew what i was talking about yeah um, and i believe the last season all that that core group all got a line of dialogue so they all got to actually speak. oh that's awesome so yeah that was really cool so uh your very first episode on the show was actually one we just covered um, a oh. couple of weeks ago as we're recording this. Um, mm-hmm. So you started on the show in late season five's Point of Origin. Uh, do you have any memories of that first episode and kind of what your thoughts were during production? I have lots of memories from that one because that was George Clooney's last. It was actually a couple of weeks after his last. He's still no. mentioned. But he's oh, no, I, I worked. I know. I, I, I Well, then maybe. We so then to... IMDb is wrong then because uh, IMDb well, says you started a couple weeks after, no, which yeah, I, wouldn't be I, the first time. I was I was for sure because my joke with George Clooney is my very first job in the business was on the show Sisters. And my very first episode on Sisters, we blew up his character and killed him so he could go to ER. And okay. then five years later, here I am saying goodbye to George Clooney again. You're, so you're the Clooney killer. I'm a Clooney killer, totally. Um, <laughs> but I do remember that very explicitly because everybody was, you know, everybody was sad to see him go. And and uh, I remember, God, that scene of him walking away from Juliana after he said goodbye to Hathaway. Oh, God, it was just killed. Her performance was so good. Uh, and I remember because we originally, we set the background for that. And um, we had quite a number of people in that hallway as he walked away. And we watched it and we're like, no, it doesn't work. And we just, yeah. we got rid of all of them. So it's an empty hallway as he walks away. Um, and then, so that, I remember that shot specifically, I remember watching, I mean, there were certain scenes on ER where it's like, you, I, I'm, I'm a hard crier. Like it gets me, you have to, it has to be something really special. I was bawling at the monitors, <laughs> supervisor was bawling. We're just like, Ugh. and I wasn't even friends with George. You know, there was people who worked with him for five years. So it was really emotional for for a lot of people, but it was just really phenomenal acting. Um, and then we did, um, a lot of shows will do what we call a dollar day. And, and this is what we do on Fridays, where basically one of the PAs will go around and collect what used to be $1, now it's like $5, whatever, mm-hmm. um, collect money, and you basically write your name on the dollar. I know it's supposedly illegal to do that, but um, put it in the bucket. And at the end of the day, somebody pulls out a dollar, and whoever's name is on it, they win the whole bucket. So for George's last episode, it was $20 day. So everybody put a 20 or more in, and George put a check for $5,000 into that bucket. And I believe the the pot got up to around seventy five hundred dollars. 
And everybody's like, Robin, aren't you playing? Aren't you playing? I'm like, hell no, I'm the new kid. I'll get crucified if I win this. <laughs> no, I'm not playing. No way. And um, the Dolly Grip, who had been on the show from the get-go, uh, who was just a, a really cool guy, uh, he won. And it was that was very cool. I thought that was really nice. classy of George to do that. Man, that might be the the worst way that IMDb has ever let me down because that would have that would have influenced my questions dramatically different if I didn't know you were there for his last episode. That yeah, that was my first, and that's that was yeah. Like I said, that was the joke. Is like what what like I just wanted to hey George, what did I say? You know, every time I show up, you leave. What the hell? Yeah, <laughs> starting to take it personal. Yeah. So you kind of touched on this a little bit already with the background stuff. Um, so I imagine that might play into it a little bit. But what's something that we as viewers kind of take for granted that during production is actually quite difficult to pull off? A um, couple of things. One, I think, you know, you already mentioned it. I think now with how the style of television has evolved since ER, um, those oneers that you talk about, you know, or five, six, seven minute oneer um, mm -hmm. is almost, I wouldn't say commonplace, but, you know, West Wing, which had a lot of people from ER, right. went and took it to yet another level. And now now it's, and, and steady cams are a lot more common and uh, there's a lot more guys doing them now. Um, but those those shots and especially when when i started the show we had 40 background artists 40. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. the entirety of stage 11 where that um that set is literally wall to wall from fire lane to fire lane is set with maybe a couple little offices so it's an, a massive amount of area that we can cover in you know with one right. shot um by the time i left the show we had 75 extras every day Ooh. And that was very fortunate because it made it easier to fill that space. Sure. But if you look at those early episodes, the background is as good. And to mm -hmm. make it look that full and that busy with such a small number of people is remarkable. I mean, it's there's all sorts of we have all sorts of tricks to do it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's really, really it takes a, there's a lot of people who either wouldn't want the job because they they're too intimidated by that or it's too hard mm -hmm. and setting that kind of background every shot day in day out obviously there are scenes where you know okay two people in a room talking but that's pretty rare on er it was there were day, you know days and days where it was every scene and the thing that also people don't realize is that the lighting on that show was very fast it was very mm -hmm. it was mostly overhead lighting with you know a few uh, instruments set and the crew was always waiting for the ad's to set the background and that's some amazing pressure when every minute ticking is dollars <laughs> dollars right. running away and and literally everybody's sitting around are they done setting the background are they done setting the background and we're you know running around like crazy trying to get it all done um and then to make it good it's one thing to do it fast it's another thing to do it well right. um, you know and i took great pride in in the background that we set um because I, you know it was always about making it interesting and like i said you want to enhance the shot so making it compositionally interesting and not detracting from the action just building it and adding to it and the timing is always critical and it's like it's one thing to have like you said, the choreography of the camera and the and the the boom guy and the and the grip and those guys and then the actors having to hit their marks and you know having 13, 14, 15, 18, 20 actors in a scene and then you mm -hmm. add in 40 more bodies, it was pretty amazing. That yeah. I think is very much um, a skill that is taken for granted. Um, the other thing about uh, ER that looks so easy is the trauma scenes. You know, yeah. oh, the camera's just going around, 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 and all sorts of stuff happening. Those were choreographed to a T. Um, we had real ER doctors who would choreograph the scene, and that was part of the part of the scheduling for us. Is you never wanted to schedule a trauma scene up first because oh. then everybody has to come in early and rehearse, and they hate you. Um, <laughs> so we try to not schedule, but you also can't schedule it when you're seeing into those trauma rooms because they can't rehearse if you're seeing it on camera. So the scheduling was very specific, but our doctors would, we'd send, bring in the, the background nurses. We always had one real nurse on that set um, because they just, they handled the, the equipment obviously more realistically, but mm -hmm. you know, years into the show, the, some of the background artists got really skilled at, at, at how to handle it and it all looks so good. But all every time you see something passed, especially in the foreground of the camera, very specific, very well designed. Um, you know, and our camera operators were remarkable. I mean, those guys are famous for what they did, you know, to, to catch every moment so as they're moving backwards, you mm -hmm. know, to, and then to actually tell the story at the same time, catch the lines on camera that you need to be on camera. Some of them are off camera, some of them are on camera. I mean, it was a real dance of, of uh, really great, greatly skilled people um, to get those done. So, yeah. Tough. And then two minutes later, they're 
gone. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Two minutes on camera and it's over. Ugh. <laughs> Uh, ER had so many talented directors that came through the show over the years. Um, who were some of your favorites to work with and how did their specific styles differ? Um, this was what I had to think about because I worked more with Jonathan Kaplan than I, I think anybody anybody else. I mean, he and I, 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 would, I need to go back and figure out how many episodes I did with him. I gotta say probably close to 50% of my episodes were with him. Um, and he, he was, <laughs> I don't, has anybody else talked about it? When it comes to directing, I think I think he might be the name that comes up most frequently, either like at, from a style standpoint, like they loved working with him or just they were intimidated by him because he, you know, looked like Santa Claus and right. <laughs> had this big presence. Yeah. Oh, OK. That's one way to put it. Um, yes, he definitely had a big presence, but he was also I mean, he was very talented with the with the choreography, but he also has extremely demanding and uh, I remember my first couple episodes, he, if he saw an extra walk by doing something he didn't like, he would cut the whole shot. And I'm like, wait, we're three minutes into a five minute one or why would you cut? <laughs> but he's like, that guy in the back, he could see everything. And he would get so upset with me, Robin, why did you say that? I'm like, I, uh, you don't think that. But, um, so I learned really fast what he liked and what he didn't like. And it's the only time in my career, I think. Yeah, it's the only time in my career that I have ever cut the camera when the director did not. And I cut it because I saw an extra do something that he would have been upset about. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna give him the pleasure. I'm like, no, no, I got it, I got it, I got it. I was like, I know you hate it. I know I'm fired, I got it, I'll fix it. <laughs> no. um, so I yelled, cut, and he looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, you didn't see the guy? He's like, yeah, I saw the guy. I'm like, okay, I'll fix it. <laughs> um, but there was also one day that, I can't remember what, I think, I think we had a problem with one of the cameras and this was, you know, the joke now is, you know, we still call the genre single camera, but nobody shoots with a single camera anymore. All shows have two cameras or three, mm -hmm. but ER had one, it was single camera. And if the camera breaks, you got nothing else to do. Um, mm. So, so I believe there was something happened with the camera and we were sitting around waiting for a technician and, and, and we ended up two hours behind. And as an AD, you're like, oh crap, how are we going to dig ourselves out of this hole? How are we going to recover from this? And I remember yeah. Jonathan, he just said, everybody get out, everybody get out, get out, get off the stage, everybody go. And I was like, okay. So we cleared the set, we cleared the entire stage, kicked everybody out. He said, come back in 10 minutes. I was like, okay. And we came back 10 minutes later and he had a floor plan of the entire set and it looked like spaghetti had been dropped on it. It was just lines everywhere and colors and arrows. And I was like, all right, what do you got? And he's like, bring in the whole cast. And he had designed a one in a scene that was not supposed to be a one -er. Wow. And it took us probably a couple hours to shoot it. Um, mm -hmm. But it was a scene that had been scheduled for double that. And he made up those two hours in one shot. Wow. God, that was amazing. Like very few people could do that. So that was, yeah. pretty, that was pretty amazing. Um, we also had a director, a first time director pretty much walk out he quit at lunch he just was like the pressure was just too much and he was like i'm out of here and they called jonathan like hey can you come finish and he came in with no prep and directed the rest of the episode wow and that's that's pretty remarkable and he taught me a lot he was in in prep he was a lot more calm and quiet and very very wonderful to work with and he was very patient and very uh very much about about supporting women too so he was he was really great to work with, um, but you know on set he was like people have said he was loud he was he would get <laughs> upset he would you know yell at people um, mm -hmm. and it was very very intimidating and then on the flip side I was trying to think I was like who who you know who really popped to mind and Ken Quapis actually jumped into my head um, who is exactly the opposite he is quiet and very respectful and not that Jonathan isn't he's just he can. Just different yeah, style very different style and ken also never said action he would hmm. say go ahead <laughs> basically <laughs> telling me i think some people will say like in your own time or whenever you're ready to give the actors the opportunity to take their own cue sure but, so ken just very quietly and you had to be so quiet on the set which was also great because if you want to hear what the director says you better be quiet and listen and he would just say, go ahead oh, that's so <laughs> nice i like that so that was cool and then um there weren't a, you know, I guess, I don't know what the percentage are. I'd be curious to see what the percentages are, but there weren't a ton of female directors, but Leslie Linka Glatter, who is now the mm -hmm. president of the DGA, 
she made quite an impact on me too, um, just at how commanding she was and how she just took control of a, of a set that she was a guest on and was fantastic. She was great to work with. Yeah, going back to uh, to Jonathan, we had a, a guy that we interviewed recently who was, he played an EMT in the later seasons. And uh, he told us a story about, uh, it was a Halloween episode. And during the take, he decided actor thing he just decided i'm gonna take a piece of candy out of the candy bucket that's in front of me and he was like that was the worst mistake i ever made in my life he was like i got you know yelled at he's like why would you do that nobody who told you to do that like (laughs) said it was just like he was like i never touched a piece of candy the rest of the he was like but what was funny was that the um I guess the main cast person he was doing the scene with was Sherry Stringfield. Mm. And he said a couple of takes later, she did the same thing, kind of messing with him. And he loved it. <laughs> you know, It was like, you know, oh, you know, different rules for different tiers of, you know. Well, yeah. Whatever. And Sherry definitely wasn't intimidated by anyone. <laughs> no, no, nor, nor should she be. Yeah. But um, so that perfectly kind of leads into the next question, though. Several times during your time on the show, uh, we had cast members that stepped in to direct an episode. Uh, you know, Anthony Edwards did a few, uh, Laura Innes, Paul McCrane. Um, how does that process differ for you, if at all, uh, when one of the on-screen talent decides to move behind the camera? It differs when it's their first time or when they're sure. just still very, very new at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also differs greatly when they're acting in a scene that they're also directing. Um, there were some times, you know, that if if the show and the writers know that an actor is going to be directing a scene, they'll write that character out for that. Right. Time, so they can just focus on the directing, but that's pretty rare. Um, so a lot of times it's more the AD kind of becomes more of a coach um, mm-hmm. in that, not to say that we're directors. Uh, I know a lot of ADs have aspirations to be directors, but it's just being at the director's side for as long as we are, we learn the craft. We sure. definitely know it. Um, and so we definitely, I think the, probably the most important period with the, you know, an actor director is an in prep because that's something they never get exposed to. How do you prep? Mm -hmm. You know, everybody preps differently. And so that's our opportunity to really coach them through that process and to tell them, you know, what they need to be prioritizing and how to, you know, they all pretty much know how to do their homework, Mm -hmm. but what they may not know is how to do it efficiently. Um, little tricks of of how to save time or to avoid pitfalls that we are that almost every director will fall into at some point in their career. Um, the hardest questions is you know in prep is the, the Sophie's Choice questions. It's like we ask, say, hey, you know, you can't you can't nurture every scene. Mm-hmm. Some scenes, the purpose is to move the story. So just right. move, move the story along. It does not have to be Academy Award worthy. Sure, <laughs> and that's hard to hear when you know a lot of these people have been fighting to be directors for a long time and they're finally getting a chance and they really want to flex and show what they can do. And you're telling them, yeah, just brush it along. Right. <laughs> um, but you have to, you know, it's, it, it is still a business and it still has to be, you have to make it between, and they're much stricter now on the 12 hours than we ever have been in the past, which is good, mm-hmm. but it's challenging. It's challenging. Um, so yeah. those are, those are probably the harder, um, uh, the harder lessons. And the other lessons also is, is to, you know, tell them, you know, you got it. You don't need 17 takes. Right. You got it. We have to move on. Um, and that's sometimes hard because, and the, the, the compromise factor, I don't think anybody really realizes, especially in television, it is a game of compromise for everybody, you know, between time and money, you don't always get what you want. <laughs> sure. You have to find a way to be, to, to find a solution that will satisfy what you need um, and will satisfy the show and stay within your constraints. Yeah, semi-related to that, um, I'm assuming that each episode and by extension each season is kind of budgeted you know, on its own. Like season five has a budget and season six has a budget and each episode with there within has a budget of its own. So I'm assuming it was kind of a use it or lose it thing by the end of the, the season of like props has a certain number of of dollars allocated to it and they can use the, 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 the reason I ask is because it's, we have noticed a trend towards the end of certain seasons where there will be kind of a, like, we had a lot of extra money for this and we just threw it at the wall. Like we had a, an episode recently where it seemed like props had a lot of extra money left over because they did a lot of stuff in one episode that was just like, you know, technicolor vomit. And there was, <laughs> you know, a lady got scalped and like, there was just like, they, they really were going for it in this episode. Um, to a degree that even seemed unusual for ER. 
it may seem that way. And, uh, you know, I think a producer might be better at, uh, or a production manager might be better at answering that question sure. as far as do the, the use it or lose it. Cause believe me, well, that's a question we ask a lot, a lot, but I can tell you ER was one of the best planned shows I've ever seen. John Wells mm -hmm. did a remarkable job. The writing staff does a remarkable job. I think they spent a month or so prior, you know, to just kind of laying out the entire season. And when you went into the writer's room, around the room was a little synopsis, like a little a chart for each episode. Mm -hmm. And it told you the main storylines and the main story arc points. Um, so, you know, you probably saw, you could look over and say, oh, episode 18, Technicolor Vomit, we're gonna need that. Yep. Or, you know, episode six, we need a $40,000 prosthetic baby. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was extremely well planned out. Um, for sure. So I, I think it's less of, oh, look at all this money we have left over. Let's do something exciting. Not that that doesn't happen. Sure. Um, but I was always amazed when I walk in on, you know, at my first day of prep or first, uh, the first day of a season and just it, there's the season. It's right there. It's on the wall and you can go look at it. Mm hmm. So uh, in your last season on the show, you were bumped up to first assistant director. Uh, do the two jobs differ at all, or is it more just a mark of seniority? No, it's definitely, they're definitely different. Every, the, the different roles, uh, uh, the different responsibilities of ADs is very delineated. Um, so as a key second, you are implementing the plan, but the first AD makes the plan. So, okay. um, uh, you know, and when I was talking about like what the AD's job is, I was talking more as a first AD because I mean, I became a first on ER, I was only 30 years old. Um, mm -hmm. so I've been a first for a mm, long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was, I was very much ready to step into that role because as a key, I got lots of opportunities to run the set. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with first ADs who trusted me and were like, hey, I need to go do this for an hour, take over. And so I was able to do that quite a bit. Um, so I think, and that, that would really help me along because they saw that I was capable of doing it and they're like, Hey, you can do it. Take the job. Right. Um, but yeah, the jobs are very, very different. And the, the challenging part is as the key, you are very much kind of, I, I always kind of likened it to a den mother. I'm sure the guys wouldn't like that, but, um, <laughs> you know, you're implementing this plan. So you get the plan, the shooting schedule and everything from the, from the first AD. And then your job is to create the call sheet every day. Oh, and I just found, I just moved out of my, my place in LA and I found I probably have a hundred call sheets from ER, um, wow. handwritten these before computers, you know, like all handwritten call sheets. Um, and so your job was to create that and then coordinate with all the departments for each day's, uh, filming, uh, and then, you know, call everybody, make sure they knows what time they're supposed to be there as the first, like I said, you, you have that prep period. So the key second is always with the shooting company. So you're shooting every single day. So the hours are monstrous. Um, an average day, you know, if, if our crew call was 7 a.m., I'd be there at 6.15 and probably stay 45 minutes after wrap. Um, so if we shot for 13, 14 hours, it was a 16-hour day. Uh, first AD, you get those prep periods where it's a, it's a more, it's still, you know, you, I, I'll easily do 10 or 12 hours in prep. I don't want to, but sometimes that's what it takes. Um, yeah. But some days you'll have an eight-hour day, and that's a little more uh, recovery time. Um, so the hours are better as a first. You get to leave at wrap usually unless there's a problem. Um, you don't have to come in quite so early. So, but the pressure is is greater. You know, as the first, you it is your responsibility to make your day uh, and to help your director sure. make their day. And so, I remember my very first day as a first. I went home and I said, "Thank God, I have never been so mentally tired in my life." Yeah, and I can't even imagine. It's just because you're constantly. There's never. To me, there's a, there's never a moment of mental break. You're thinking, what are we doing right now? What are we doing in five minutes? What are we doing in an hour? What are we doing in five hours? What are we doing tomorrow? We're behind. How are we going to catch up? So you're constantly you have these like juggling balls of of mental thoughts in your head of of you know planning and thinking and preparing and coming up with contingency plans. My joke was always, I'm going to get myself a superhero cape that just says plan B girl. Um, <laughs> Cause I guess I always just, you know, you get in the habit of just doing it. Okay. If this goes wrong, and especially now with COVID, if this actor goes, you know, get sick, if somebody tests positive right. we do that, if we have, you know, so you're constantly coming up with, with plan B's that you hopefully never need, but. But you better have them if you do. Have you know. them. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, jobs, the jobs are very different. And then as a key second, you know, on ER, ER was unusual in that it had two second seconds. Cause we really liked the number two. <laughs> um, but 
because of the number of background that had to be set and with the, the speed that they had to be set. So we had two second seconds setting background. But I mean, I remember my, one of my first episodes, one of the first ADs yelled out, all hands on deck, meaning it's a huge shot. Forget your call sheet, come set background. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and as a first, that was one of the hardest things for me to let go. Uh, when you move up to first, you're not supposed to be physically setting the background. You can give notes and you can, uh, you know, make little tweaks, but you're not physically setting it as much. That was really harder for me to let go. Um, I'm sure Tony Ang, who was the second second for, I think, 11 years, um, he would be like, get out of the way. You are in the way now. No, no, we got it. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> So um, being that you were kind of the one in charge running the set sometimes, um, who would be some of your favorite guest stars that uh, came through over the years? Well, my absolute favorite guest star of all time was Alan Alda. Because my mom, I remember as a little kid, my mom watched MASH. So I knew who Mm -hmm. he was from the very beginning. And of course, I became a huge MASH fan. And then I I still remember when they said, oh, you know, Alan Alda's coming to guest star. I was just like, oh, my. (laughs) <laughs> the best thing the best was when i the first episode he worked on and i was the key second on that one um i kind of called my mom one day this was so, i mean i i do not fangirl but very rarely and i had to call my mom I'm like mom you're not gonna believe this she's what like, alan alda just paged me <laughs> oh my pager look <laughs> um and he was there i believe for five episodes i want to say something like that something yeah. like that the classiest, most professional, kindest, warmest, just, I do not have enough adjectives to say what a wonderful human being he is. And then what a tremendous actor he is. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember one day I had to go deliver the terrible news that we were two hours behind and he had to sit around, which all actors seem to get really pissed at. Like somehow it's, we're doing it on purpose just to mess up your day. <laughs> right. Um, and I thought, oh God, I don't know how he's going to take this. And then knock, knock, come on in. I open the door. I'm like, oh God, Alan, I'm so sorry. We're, you know, we ran into a snag on the, on the scene before yours and we're about two hours behind. I'm really sorry. And he says, oh, okay. Um, can one of the stand-ins come in and run lines with me? It's like, what? <laughs> Are you serious? He's like, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Um, yeah, he was phenomenal. I have this great picture of, 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 uh, my, me and him sitting on a gurney and we look like we're in this really intense conversation and we're talking about the u.s open because we were uh. we were bummed that we were missing it and we were talking about who was playing and who was winning or just like because he was he's a huge tennis fan um but he also just elevated our cast you know it's like right. it's really hard for actors who are on a long-running series playing the same character every day you know they get bored too you know i mean they're artists and they want to challenge themselves they get bored but when you have somebody like Alan Alda show up on your set and you have to act with that man, you better be on your game. Right. So he he just elevated all of them, um, you know, and they were, I remember, I think it was Noah came to me one day. He's like, make sure Alan never waits for me. Make sure you always bring me to set before him. <laughs> good man. That is that is a good man. Um, yeah, he was phenomenal. And then, of course, Sally Field. Yeah, um, I think okay, that's so the one Sally, we hear most frequently. Oh, well, Sally's first episode, I'll never forget. I and mean, of course, you know, it's awesome to have Sally Field on your set, but her first scene, I don't, I couldn't, I, I mean, you might be able to tell me which episode it is, but it was a scene where she, her, she first shows up in the ER and she's looking for, um, uh, looking for Mora and she loses, loses it. And she starts running around screaming, where's my daughter? That was her first scene right. on the show. Wow. And I will never forget, and we rehearsed it and she just, she marked it, but we didn't know she was just kind of marking it. Um, she was like, you know, we could kind of tell. She was like, you know, I might, I might just kind of run here and I might go, I'm like, okay, you know, we're steady cam, we, we'll go with you, whatever. And, uh, and then when we rolled the first time and she did that performance, I mean, <sighs> I, we're all standing there at the monitor, just like, <laughs> oh my God, this woman is amazing um she was so great she was yeah she was just tremendous so and and a total sweetheart if you look at there's one <laughs> on one of the gag reels she's having this really intense scene with Mora, and i mean just really quiet wonderful scene just the two of them and it was really dark too and the stage phone rings because remember <laughs> this is pre-cell phone sure and the stage phone doesn't just go ring ring it goes hey it's this horrible sound <laughs> and it goes off once and usually if it goes off once 
one of the PAs, somebody's running and they're going to turn it off. Mm-hmm. So they continue the scene. They don't break. They continue. And it goes off again. And she goes, would somebody answer the phone? <laughs> I'm like, sorry. Um, but she, you know, a lot of people get really pissed. You know, they get mad and she was just, she made a joke out of it. She was lovely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely lovely. Um, David Krumholz was another one. Yes. Who, uh, you know, he was, it was a quote unquote small part, very important guest starring role. Yeah. But I remember again, his, the first take, it was just like, oh God, I have goosebumps. That was so creepy. <laughs> yeah. So good. And then I got to actually work with him on numbers several years later. Um, but he was, he was just, I mean, the acting the, it was just so good. He was just so good. Um, and, and the last one that came to mind when I saw this question was uh, Don Cheadle. Who is lovely guy, but I'll never forget his. He comes up, and I was, I think I was a second at the time, I don't remember, but we were waiting. You know, all the cast was on set waiting, and he wasn't out of his trailer yet. And we were like, oh, God, he's going to be one of these. <laughs> had to, so somebody had to go knock again and bring him in, and he walked in and he goes, Y'all had that. That's a movie star conversation, didn't you? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Guilty. Yes. Um, but it was his first day and he's like, you know, he had very valid reasons for needing a little extra time. Um, and he never made us wait again, but it was really funny. It was like, he called us out on it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we did. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but that's the perfect way to do it though. Break the tension and yeah. everybody can move on from there. Yeah. And he was, again, the talent, you know, I mean, just the, the level of talent on that show was so high. Yeah. And, and having people like Alan Alda and Sally Field come through and kind of give that stamp of approval and be like, this yeah. is the place, this is the show to be on. This is the place to be. I mean, and that leads to people like Don Cheadle and John Leguizamo and, you know, all the, 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 it was kind of a, as we got towards like seasons 10, 11, 12, there kind of was like a rotating cast of like, who's who people come in. Um, Stanley Tucci came in much later. Right. Like there was kind of a, a who's who of people coming through the doors yeah. uh, of the ER over the last few years. Yeah. It's like a badge of honor to be able to say how many, and I think at the, at the final rap party, they actually got up and they made, they, they told us you know, how many writers had worked on the show for its entire run. Sure. And I believe the number of actors was over 5,000. Oh yeah. It's huge when you take into account. And, and then you look at too, especially in those early seasons, you look at so many of the people who are just not necessarily background people, but you know, minor characters, you mm-hmm. know, like there was a, um, an episode last season where, um, Nick Offerman showed up and he's just like, he gives like two lines. He's mm-hmm. not, he's not an important character. He's not anybody you're supposed to remember. And it's like, holy shit, that's Nick Offerman. Like he's, you yeah. know, huge star now. And like they, they, so many people, even the, they, they had such an amazing eye for talent mm-hmm. that they would bring in people who you didn't know their names yet, but you were going to know their names later yeah, on. You know, sure. Chadwick Boseman, Chadwick Boseman came through there in Did season really? 14, 14 or 15. Yeah. It was towards the very end of the show. Um, and so, I mean, you, you have like an Oscar winner who's you know, Octavia Spencer was on an episode. That we yeah, I do remember watched. her. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Um, so uh, this again, kind of leads into our next question. Um, you talked about rap party a little bit. What were your uh, personal emotions like when it came time for you to leave the show? It was hard. It was hard. I um, I remember this one conversation I had. I think it was, well, it was Dave. Dave Comites was uh, one of the Steadicam operators. He was he was the uh, Steadicam operator when I started, and mm-hmm. I think it was either my third episode or third season or second season, whatever season he left. And I remember okay. when he said he was going to leave the show, and I was flabbergasted. I was like, Why would you leave? This is the number one show in the country. Why would you leave this? And yeah. he said, I'm tired of doing the same shots all the time, and I you know I need to. I need to go try something else. And I just, I was like, you're crazy. I didn't understand. <laughs> um, I understand now. <laughs> you know, I had a very similar moment. It must've been, it was right before I moved up to first. And I remember mm-hmm. sitting, I was exhausted. It was near the end of the day and we were rehearsing a big one And I remember sitting there going, I really, I don't want to set this again. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is, I've set this shot so many times. I just, and it's so, it's so hard. And it's like, and I was like, God, this is what Dave was talking about. Okay. And so it's not so much that you want to leave the people or the show. I mean, obviously, I, I, I remained a fan and watched it very loyally until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just gets to be a point where you're like, I need to do something else. Right. And uh, and there was a change in showrunner between uh, seasons was it 10 and 11. Yeah, I think. But different showrunner came in and he had uh, staff of his own and was like, okay, this is this is the right time. 
Right. So it worked out, but it was, it was tough. It was really tough. Um, you know, the, you, as they say, it's like, you know, you spend way more time with the people on set than you do with your family mm-hmm. and they become a secondary family. And, uh, yeah. And I'm still friends with a lot of those folks now. Sure. So what lessons, if any, did you take with you from your time on ER onto other shows that you've gone on to work on since? The biggest one was, is the setting background. Like I will, I, I don't care how many people are in it. I did a show called hit the floor where we had three, what, 3000 extras or something like, you wow. know, yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you just don't get intimidated by those big shots anymore. It's like, I know how to do this. I know how to organize it. I know how to organize my team. I know how to make it look good. I know how, you know, my, uh, my bag of tricks is extremely deep now. Um, I had a, a, one of my seconds recently, we were, we were getting ready to do a scene and, you know, with COVID, we can't have as many extras as we have anymore. And she was in full blown panic mode. It's like, it's going to look terrible. It's going to look terrible. It's we need more people. We just need more people. We just need more people. I was like, you need to stop saying that because a, we're not getting more people. And no, you don't need more people. You just right. need better tricks, <laughs> you know, and here are some of them. So ER, it, it's, you know, the, it, they say necessity is the mother of invention. It really mm-hmm. is it's like, okay. You know, especially when I started that show with only 40 extras, you know, you're doing a, five minute one or you better come up with something interesting right so that that bag of tricks gets very deep very fast um so that's definitely one um you know you have a level of confidence you walk you walk away and you walk, even to this day 20 years later you say i worked on er people are like oh wow <laughs> you know she knows what she's doing they still can appreciate what it took to make that show and to make it as well as we did um mm-hmm. so that definitely helps um you know being able to pivot on a dime you know things go wrong Things go wrong. I mean, <laughs> you watch the gag reel, you'll see it right there. Things go right. wrong all the time. I mean, you know, you have a blood splatter that goes wrong and sprays your actress, and now she needs an hour to get cleaned up and remade up. What are you going to do about it? You know, yeah. that that kind of stuff happens. Well, you, you pivot, you make, you change, and you come up with something else to do. So those, I always call, I call it solution mode. It's just, you know, where a lot of people might freak out or panic or get upset or mad. It's like, okay, solution mode. Here's what we're going to do. And you just change and make it happen. Um, so those things were, I probably didn't have those tools before ER. For sure. Yeah. Is there a specific accomplishment or memory that stands out for you as kind of personally significant or memorable from your time on the show? Um, there were a lot of firsts for me on that show. Um, obviously just the, the, the style of setting background was a big part of it, but that was a daily thing. Um, the one, and I actually just recently looked up this, uh, this episode to watch it again. I'm like, was it as, as just huge as I thought it was? <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, we did an episode where Abby is in a, in one of the patient rooms with a guy who's on oxygen and he's smoking. And of course she's in there with him. And then we cut to outside in the hallway and the whole place explodes. Right. And Carter runs in and there is a, a an oxygen fire basically blowing yeah. out of the wall. And the sprinklers go off and it's just may, you know, mayhem. I had to cue that explosion. And I remember in prep when we they were talking about it, the, the the writers, either the writers or one of the I can't remember who said this, but when we were planning it with the special effects department, they said we want it to look like the Kuwaiti oil fields. Oh, interesting uh, I mean, comparison. You, you do not forget those words. I was just like, Yeah. And you want to do that indoors on a sound stage with a ceiling. No pressure. With a ceiling. I mean, you know, there's all these factors that safety wise, just like, you know, the bells are ringing. You're like, good God, how are we going to do this? Oh my God, it's so dangerous. Okay. Um, But we planned it so well and our special effects department was amazing. But I remember in rehearsals standing there with Scott Forbes, our special effects foreman. And I, and there was also, there was just to be sure that he didn't not hear the cue. I touched his shoulder to cue him. And mm-hmm. so in rehearsals, I, we would do it over and over and he would just yell, bang, bang. And I just remember thinking, oh, it's going to be so much louder than bang. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And I'm like, and again, I'm like, if I mess this up, oh my God, there is no take two. We're blowing yeah. up this room. We're blowing up this room and then we're flooding the stage. <laughs> like, oh my God. So I was, I was like, can we do one more rehearsal? Just, <laughs> um, and it went off beautifully. It went off without a hitch. It was, it was really great. But I remember just, I was terrified. I was terrified, but it, that worked out. And we did a lot of big stunts on that show. So I had a lot of, a lot of stunt experience uh, on that show, but that was the first time I was responsible for cueing it. Um, 
Paris Barkley did uh, a sequence in the ambulance bay. I think it was, I want to say five, it was either three or five ambulances that came in one right after the other. And each one had a gurney that had to unload with a specific patient and on all the choreography that goes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember sitting in prep and mapping it out with him and I, we drew out, literally drew, you know, ambulance number one has this patient with, and, you know, we used real paramedics to make sure that the gurneys didn't fall and nobody got hurt. Mm-hmm. So these paramedics have to be in this ambulance is being driven by this person and it goes from here to here, it stops there. And I mean, the specifics of it were so precise. Um, and uh and it came off without a hitch um so it was it was you know they, they, the joke is fix it in post fix it in post well <laughs> one of our uh the, one of the location managers out here uh she gave out t-shirts that said fix it in prep <laughs> yep that's a perfect example of that if you prep it right there's nothing yeah. um and then another time this is one of my favorite memories of the show is a jonathan kaplan episode a huge oneer, and a lot of times i would I would put on scrubs so I could be on set. So just in case they caught me, I was fine. Um, so I had my handheld monitor in this hand. I had my sides kind of tucked behind it with all my cues written down. And then I had a cue light and we used cue lights to open the elevator doors or the ambulance bay doors. So you uh. have a different cue light and it was either number one, number two, and the light would go off. And then that would tell the special effects guy to open the doors. You mess up any of those cues, doors don't open in time, actor can't make their entrance. Um, or you open them too early, the actor comes in and blows the shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And in the meantime, I'm still queuing extras. You go now, you go now. So I mean, literally, ha- and I was hiding under the ambulance, uh, under the admit desk, facing the ambulance space, so I could see it. You know, all of these entrances and exits, and it was just. I was like, oh god. I'm like, ah. And uh, it was one of those ones where this, and this would happen a lot. Also, one of the worst things as a first is like you'd always, I would always count actors. Like I know there's 17 actors in this shot. I would go to where each one of them was supposed to start and I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And it, invariably somebody would be missing. They'd go off and talk to somebody or they would sit right. down or you couldn't see them anymore or whatever. And it's like, you know, nowadays I would handle it a little differently. I'd be telling them, you missed your cue, it's on you, it's not on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, just knowing that everybody's where they're supposed to be. And, and I remember we just had to go and I was missing one person and I didn't know where they were. And it's like, oh my God, please tell me you're there. Please tell me you're there. And we start the shot and I'm watching it on my monitor and cue, first cue goes great. Second cue goes great. Cue and the, you know, the people, cue and you, da, da, da. Everything's working great. Camera, everything's looking great. And it gets into like the third minute of going really well. And I was like, holy shit, it's an amazing shot. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. And you know, continue with the cueing. And then I had to get up and move at one point and get out of the way and everything. And it's still going and it's still, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. It's and it gets where everybody, you can tell everybody's like, oh my God, oh my God, nothing's messed up. Not only is it not messed up, it's really working well. It looks amazing. Oh my God. And then I'm like, somebody's going to blow it. Somebody always blows it. They're going to forget a line or they're going to drop a prop or someone's going to miss a cue. Oh. And it came to an end and everybody just was like, <laughs> I mean, everybody started cheering because it was like, that does not happen on the first take. And Jonathan stands up and he goes, cut, cut, moving on. I was like, what? I was like, you don't want to do another one for safety? He's like, no, that was perfect. It's not going to get any better. And you don't, and you don't want to give me a minute to like absorb this, like, process like, it. I need to recover. That was really intense. But it was, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I was like, wow, that, and that has never happened to me again. <laughs> that was it. That was your one that perfect was, moment. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty perfect. And I could not tell you what episode it is. I tried to remember. I'm like, I don't remember. Uh, I know. After, after a certain point, after you do that many, I'm sure they have to run together. I mean, yeah. yeah. Just especially just, with how compressed that schedule was. Yeah, and how long ago it was. But yeah, yeah, I tried to remember. I was like, yeah, no, no idea. I just know that Jonathan directed it. I can tell you that. Yeah, well, maybe that'll narrow it down a little bit for us. Yeah, we'll, we'll like, keep an eye out for a long oneer in a Jonathan Kaplan episode. I'm sure that will narrow that narrows it down, it down quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, are you working on any projects currently and how can fans keep up with your work outside of ER? Um, I am currently working on the new and improved Dynasty uh, on the CW and Netflix. We are, uh, I, uh, I started it in two, end of 2018 and uh, we're in our fifth season now. Um, it's a really fun show. It's really fun. Um, so that's what I'm doing now. And really, I'm, I, I used to be more active on social media. I'm not as active, but um, the DGA website, you know, they 
our credits are all up there. So that's the best way to, you know, kind of check it out if you want. And, and if you want to see anybody from who's in the Directors Guild, it's dga.org. There's a member directory. You just search by name and you can follow and see what everybody's up to. There you go. So one final question that we've made sort of a habit out of asking everybody we've talked to, um, what do you think it's important for fans of ER to know about it from your unique perspective? In other words, when you think back on your time on the show, what would you want fans to know about the experience that wouldn't necessarily be clear just from watching? Well, I guess it's the last part that doesn't really, uh, what's clear from watching, I mean, I think it's, we touched on it a little bit earlier is that, you know, it's at the time ER was, creating a kind of a new genre. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't just a medical show, but it was a whole new look and a whole new energy and a whole new style of, of shooting um, and background, using the background to really, I mean, to me, the background's a whole other, you know, it's not just one character, it's a whole team of characters. Sure. Um, and that really hadn't been done before. And then, you know, and I can't take credit for starting that. Obviously the first the first season, the first, they really set, set the example. Um, but then, you know, subsequent ADs and directors and crew really just took that idea and elevated it. And um, and now a lot of a lot of shows kind of not they don't replicate it, but they also take it and build on it and make you know make it even better. Um, I think just a couple of years ago, with all the streaming platforms, really when they started coming into being, um, they called it the golden age of television. Again, mm -hmm. which to me it is absolutely true. I mean, you're seeing stuff on television that is feature worthy. Um, and I think a lot of that is you now ER just really kind of kicked it into that new kind of atmosphere and that new style, that new place to, to that new bar to, to try to reach for. Um, and not just for medical shows, you know, I mean, we, we used steady came on dynasty. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it really elevated that craft as well. Um, I don't, you know, I, I'm not sure that I'm trying to think of like what my my perspective of the show, but it's like it's it's on the screen. You get to see. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, here's here's a great way to really understand how ER changed. So when I was growing up, the 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 medical show when I was a little kid, the medical show that was really cutting edge and really exciting was Emergency. You're probably too young to even remember that one. I, it's funny. I was just having a conversation with my mom the other day about <laughs> emergency and about, she was like, that was the show that I remember yeah. watching, you know, when I was, you know, in my twenties or whatever. Well, and one of the stars of that show, whose name I'm not even kidding, Randolph Mantooth, that is his name. He was a guest star on ER. And I remember when he came to guest star, I said, I gotta go back and watch, you know, an old, an old emergency because I love that show. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what a snooze fest. This is so boring. <laughs> it was so slow and so just, bleh. it was like, oh my God, I can't even watch it anymore. But we think that was, that was cutting edge at the time. That was excitement on television. Right. And then you compare that to ER. It's like to, to kind of see where we, where ER elevated the game. It went mm -hmm. from that, from emergency to ER. It's like, it's a huge leap. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And uh, to think that I had a part in that is, I'm very, I'm very proud of, uh, you know, I've, I've worked on a lot of shows that I, I don't watch, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, they're fun to work on, they're fun to make, but it's not, you know, something I would watch. I, every week I was like, oh, where's my script? I can't wait to see what happens. You know, and I'm, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of the show and I, and I was always a fan even after I left. Um, that's really special. Mm -hmm.